Welcome and thank you for joining us at Christian International Ministries. Our vision is to help you hear God's voice to change your world. For more information about this and other resources, please visit www.christianinternational.com. Praise the Lord. We want to talk about something that I believe is so important and so key. I was talking uh, as uh, we were walking and, and talking there in Australia. Let me just say this. We had an awesome time in Australia. Dr. Tim came with us as part of the team, Tim and Karen, and uh, we ministered there in Brisbane, uh, Australia. There's just such a powerful anointing that was released. Dr. Tim did an awesome job as well, and uh, we went on over to New Zealand. And we're there, uh, flew into Auckland, and then went down to Hamilton. And uh, if you don't know, we have a CI base and a ministry both in Australia and New Zealand. They just love you. Uh, they love CI. They love Bishop. They send their greetings, Dad. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. Uh, some of them know more of what's happening in our church than we do sometimes. You know, we're talking to them, oh, I love this, and this looks so great, and this is awesome, and your kids and your grandkids, and the power of Facebook, glory to God. But... Uh, they feel very, very connected all the way across to the other side uh, of the world. But as we were uh, there, God began to speak to me about some things, and I wanted to share them this morning. One of them uh, that God began to say to me, and it's uh, the title of the overhead that I have for you this morning, is this question that began to resonate in my heart is something that I believe that uh, probably resonates throughout all of the generations right up till today. It started in the Garden of Eden, and now God's speaking again, uh, I believe, to us, and this is the question that uh, begin to ring in my heart is when God asked uh, into the garden, ask Adam, Adam, where are you? There's something about that question that began to just so burn in my heart is that question, that first question that God began to speak out of his mouth over his creation, over his uh, family, over those that he had called, if you will, to represent him in the earth. And he wanted to know something. He wanted to know, Adam, what happened to you? Because Adam was made in amazing ways. God created Adam and Eve in his image, male and female, in his likeness. He made them with, if you will, his own abilities. He imparted his DNA inside of Adam, and he expected so much because he knew what was inside of him. And the reality is God knows what's inside of you too. God knows what he's placed there and what he, when he uh, begins to prophesy and speak over your life, he's drawing upon something that he already knows is inside. And that's why uh, Paul could say to Timothy, he said, Timothy, you need to stir yourself up because I know there's an anointing and a gift inside of you because we laid our hands upon you, the elders prophesied over you, and I know what got released into your life. And so Paul had an expectation, I believe Father God had an expectation of Adam, and he began to speak this word over him. What an amazing ability Adam had. Adam was made to operate somewhere called the glory. And you know what? We are made to operate in the glory. That's why when we're outside of the glory, we don't look so good and we don't act so hot. And sometimes people uh, might ask the question that uh, God asked one time, why did I make these things? Why did I even make man? And said there was a moment that God wanted to repent that he ever made man. And if you look at some things that take place in the earth, or you just watch the news for a moment and see what's happening in Iraq and, and different places in the world throughout the centuries and the generations, you can see the depravity of man, where man can go. But if you also just take a moment and you look around and you smell the roses and you look at the reality of what happens when man is redeemed and when he's brought back, when he's restored, when he operates in the glory that God intended for him, man can do amazing things. We can create things that are beautiful and awesome and make our lives great, or we can create things that can destroy on a mass level that's hard to believe. God made man in his image and likeness, and he gave Adams and Eve an ability to be able to oversee that Garden of Eden. You know what the Garden of Eden literally means in the Hebrew? It means a fenced-in area of pleasure. In other words, God wants to fulfill your life. God has a plan to bless you. God has something in mind that he wants to do to make you feel like, okay, I've re reached a place of uh, walking into my destiny. But at the same time, he says there is a boundary. There is a fence. There are ways that you can do it. It's not that uh, the, 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 the 
the end justifies the means. In other words, it doesn't uh, count just because you got to where you wanted to go. What matters is how did you get there? The process is important. The steps that you take, how you operate day by day, God's looking at that as much as he is uh, the end result that you're trying to achieve. You can say, I'm going for the dream, but if you go the wrong path to try to get there, God's not pleased. I've seen Christians do some strange things. I've seen uh, uh, people pray in strange places, asking God to bless things. You're going, really? You expect God's going to bless that kind of relationship and that kind of activity and that kind of thing? Really? Why are you even asking? Because uh, right off the bat, you know that that can't be and is not pleasing to the Lord. And so how we operate is important, but God has called uh, man to operate on a high level. I mean, uh, I think there's a movie out now called Lucy or something. I haven't seen it, but, uh, you know, I can see the trailers that's talking about how this girl, I guess, only uses a small percentage, like most of us, of her brain and somehow some drug or something uh, causes her to be able to operate with all of her capacities. Her brain begins to operate in full capacity, and it's like all of a sudden the whole world begins to shake. The abilities are amazing. Uh, Adam was made like that. Adam was made to operate in the glory, and he, he operated on a high, high level. I mean, all of his brain, all of his body, all of his faculties and abilities were at that high fever pitch. They were able to operate humming right at the highest level. And that's what God had intended for man. God gave man his plan and his blessing, and he wanted man to be able to operate on that high, high level. It's like you can take a fish, and if you throw them up on dry land, you know, uh, they may breathe for a little bit and flop around, but they're not going to look graceful, and they're not going to look nice, and they're probably going to die. But if you put that fish in the water, amazing things. I mean, how they can go so fast and go in all kinds of places and all kinds of things. And you take a bird and you put them on the ground and that's okay. They can walk around like uh, the Kiwis do there in New Zealand. But, you know, they just don't look, they look out of place. But you put them in the sky when they're made to fly and wow, you see the beauty of who they are. You and I were made to operate in the glory. And outside of the glory, we don't look so great. We don't do so well. And sometimes we hurt more than we help. But when we operate, when we know how to get into that rightful place where God has ordained for us to, to live our life, then all of a sudden it says, what, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. It's not so hard to operate there. When you find yourself in the glory, then all of a sudden the things that look hard begin to feel like this is what I was made for. This isn't all that outside of my reach. After all, I'm able to operate on that level. You know, it says, those that wait upon the Lord, they shall begin to mount up with wings like eagles. In other words, man, we were made to soar, uh, but we don't get there unless we come into that place of intimacy and closeness and connection and find our, our place in the glory. Turn to somebody and say, you were made for the glory. And the glory was made for you. It was an atmosphere where Adam could live eternally, where God had made man to be able to receive the, the immortality and the ability to operate. But we know what happened, right, is that there was something that happened that began to shift man out of that rightful positioning. And all of a sudden, God had to ask Adam, Adam, where are you? Why aren't you where you are supposed to be? In other words, Adam ended up being out of position, out of place, if you will, out of fellowship, out of purpose, and outside of the glory. And at that place, all of a sudden, a brokenness came into his life. He broke fellowship with God, and he no longer was operating the way that God had intended for him to operate in the earth. And if you will, the curse began to want to work. Broken lives, broken homes, he, if you will, came into a place where he began to lose. He lost opportunity. He lost the glory. He lost the full abilities God intended for him. He lost the life that God had in mind, the purposes. He, he began to lose his family. Broken hearts, broken lives, broken homes, broken dreams. All of a sudden, what he was made for seemed out of his reach simply because he chose along the path the wrong thing that took him outside of God's purpose and God's glory. God made him for something great, but something began to break in his life and he wasn't operating the way he was made to operate anymore. A lot of times people blame God for a lot of things that man do, a man does in the earth. And it really isn't about God, it's about man outside of the glory is depraved. Operates on a low level. All of a sudden we do things that we ought not do. 
It says we are made in the image of likeness of God. Some of the things in the way that we are made is this. One, you are made with the ability to choose. You can choose. God gave man that capacity to be able to choose good or evil. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose whether you're going to do right or wrong. In every circumstance that you live through, you always have a choice. What the enemy's plan is to make you feel like a victim. A victim always says, I couldn't help myself. I had no choice. This is what I had to do. Well, you know, I was poor, and that's why I I robbed somebody. uh, Somebody didn't open the door. That's why I knocked it down. Somebody didn't, didn't help me out, and that's why I had to be cruel and and push my way to the top. Whatever it is, you can always have an excuse, but I'm telling you, you have the power. You are made in the image of God. You can choose, and you can choose to do right or wrong, and that's why God holds you accountable. If you didn't have a choice, you could not be held accountable for what happens in your life. It's not it's not uh, fatalism that says whatever will be, will be. We don't have a, a choice. You're just predestined. You just walk out a path that's already predetermined. No, God gave you his image and his likeness, and you have the power to choose in this life. You also have the power to reproduce. What can you reproduce? You can reproduce the very image of God. You have the capacity to release the image of God. Not only do we have the power between a man and a woman coming together in family and we can reproduce ourselves and man was made in the image of God, but how we operate as the family of God, how I work with you and you work with me, how we co-labor in the kingdom, how we operate as a family, we have the opportunity to reproduce the image of God in the earth. In fact, that's partly what we're called to do and we're gonna talk about that a little bit. And that's the ability of God inside of you that the image of God might be released in the earth because of who you are and who God made you to be. You have the power to create. God created, and he said, I made you in my image and likeness. Now you can create too. You can create your world by your words. God said to that which was form, without form and, and without life, and it was void and empty, he said, let there be light, let there be life, and there was. When you speak the words out of your mouth that come to you, you are either going to speak words of life or death. There's a power in the tongue. There's a capacity that you have that's like God, that when you speak, you create your words. Jesus said, my words, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus' words, they were spirit and they were life. The word for spirit in the New Testament, uh, pneuma, is also the word for breath. And so when something comes out of you, there's a spirit attached to it. And so when you speak words, you're going to create something, an atmosphere. You're going to create an opportunity. And so that's why God says that when you speak a word, you can unlock the heavens and the earth. You can begin to cause things to change in your life. That faith will arise, but you have to speak it out. So that's why if you want to know if you're in faith or not or what you can expect, listen to your words. The more you say something and begin to say it in faith, the more you can expect those things to take place. The more you allow negative and doubtful and and disparaging and, and those kind of words to come out of your mouth, then you can have an expectation as well, but it's not too good. Some of you are living in the world that you have created because you have the power to create your world. It's not just the power of positive thinking, it's the power of releasing, as my wife has been talking about, the quantum realm, the kingdom realm, into the earthly realm, that the the way that that happens, you have to use the gate, and the gate that God's given to you is that that space between your ivories, that little piece of meat there called the tongue, and when you use it, you can either bless yourself or curse yourself. You can either be defiled or you can be enabled because you've been willing to say what God has to say. That's why I heard the word as we were up here praising and there was such an atmosphere of willingness to say, oh God, I don't care about what's happening in my life per se. It's not about that. I'm here to bring the sacrifice of praise that's pleasing in your sight. And the Lord said, when you do, you silence the enemy. You change the decree. You begin to shift the reality. God said, as your words begin to go before you and prepare the way so that God can bless you in a way that he could not except that you chose to be like him. If you're made in his image and likeness and God's the creator, then you have that creative capacity inside of you as well. There's also a capacity to communicate intelligently. There's a lot of communication that can go on, but it's not always intelligent. Hallelujah. (laughs) But 
you have an intellect and you have a capacity to be able to communicate on a high level that God's given to man. And that's the way God loves it. God loves to speak. God loves to talk to our heart. God loves to show us things and he wants us to speak back to him. That's the reality of our communication and our prayer life and, and our praise life with the Lord is that God is a talker. And he wants to communicate. In fact, when we don't communicate with him, he's not happy. And God wants to express things to us. That's why prophecy is powerful because it says it's the very testimony of Jesus in the church. He wants to say something and he wants to use you to say it. And he also wants to talk to you intimately and continually. Pray without ceasing. You should be talking to God all the time. It should be kind of like that byword in, your, in the back of your brain. You're always kind of communicating, God, what do you think? What's going on? What should I do? How, 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 how am I doing? Am I pleasing you? I mean, there should be just this constant communication that comes out of your heart to heaven that says, God, I want to be a, a portal from heaven. How, how do you become a portal? Open your gate and begin to communicate what God wants to communicate, and all of a sudden, heaven begins to be loosed. Or sometimes in some people's life, a lot of hell gets loosed. Gates of hell, right? Listen, we're self-aware. We know something about ourselves, some animals and things, you know. But we are very, we, we can talk about ourselves. We understand what's happening. We understand how people perceive us, how we perceive ourselves and all the kind of things. We're self-aware. We're uh, sentient, if you will. We have that capacity to be able to, to understand a level. God's given that to man. We're, we're in that level. Uh, we have a capacity uh, emotionally and mentally that uh, animals don't have and that God's given us that, that high level. And we can't read the scriptures without understanding that God is a very emotive God. He gets happy. He gets angry. Uh, he loves. There's all kinds of emotive realities to the heart of God, and we're made like him. And so you cannot serve God like a robot. I'm here today, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to walk away. I mean, really, who wants that? Serve God passionately with all your heart, soul, mind, and soul. This is what I want. God wants your passion. He wants your heart. He expects you to engage with all that you have, and anything less than that is a little bit offensive, to be honest. And so God's constantly drawing us into him to, so that we might be closer to him. We're, we're different than the rest of the animals, even though sometimes animals will surprise you. In fact, uh, Jonathan, I don't know if you have that little clip. I want to show you this little clip of I saw on Facebook, YouTube, one of those things, you know. It shows this um, animal that's interacting with, with humans, and it's a little bit interesting just to see the abilities that the animals do have, you know, and how they can operate. And so Jonathan's getting that up for me. Breaker 1-9, here we go. All right, well, let's just watch this. This is an aquarium. I'm not sure where it is in the world. What's that? Bring the lights down if you can. There you go. These are some kids just uh, at an aquarium. This, I think, a beluga well. Oh. Let's give the well a hand at least. Oh, that was, oh well. <laughs> That's amazing. You all want to see it again? Oh, okay. <laughs> Forget the sermon. Let's just watch the well. Come on. What did you get out of church? I saw this well. It was really awesome. <laughs> Animals have a lot of capacities, but they don't compare to humans. Because my dad can tease a lot better than that, I'll tell you what. <laughs> he did it to me my whole life, I tell you. You know, um, I think that Christians should be eternal optimists because, one, we got eternal life and uh, you're full of faith. But I'm telling you what, you should live a life full of hope and life and looking forward with faith. I mean, the reality is God made you for the glory and the glory is filled with all of that. The, the really, the, I think the reality was that all uh, of the mission that Jesus had in his heart when he came to earth was, Father, what 
do I have to do to please you and how do I glorify you in the earth? I mean, Jesus' mission again and again was to say, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Let me now express the Father's heart. Whatever I see the Father doing in heaven, this is what I wanna do on the earth. Father, it's not my will, but what is your will and let me fulfill what I was made for. Again and again, Jesus' plan was simple. How do I please my Father and make him known in the earth? And there's something about that same simple reality that God has made man for here on the earth. See, if you want to know what something is made for, you have to be willing to go back to the manufacturer's handbook and see uh, what it says. You can't just see how it's being used today because it may be abused. It may be misused. Uh, But if you go back to the handbook, you see what the creator had in mind from the beginning. And so it's simple for you and I to be able to glorify the Father is that you just simply have have to listen to God, obey him, and and then be willing to allow your heart to say, God, how do I please the Father in how I operate from day to day? Lord, I want to rightly, if you will, represent you in the earth. Uh, My brother Tim has a wonderful um, presentation about how the kingdom comes simply in the, the phrase, hear him. And that when we hear God, and in the Greek is akuo, which doesn't just mean to hear, but it means to hear and obey. In fact, Scripture says, if you just hear and you do not obey, you deceive yourself. And so it's, it's actually possible for you to be deceived right in the midst of the glory. So you learn how to hear and obey, and then don't base out of a victim mentality because if you remember, uh, the devil made Eve feel like a victim right in the Garden of Eden. Can you believe that you lived in the Garden of Eden and somehow a voice could come and talk to you and misrepresent in such a way that you felt like you were being used and abused and, and, and being held out on and you're living in the Garden of Eden? And yet that's exactly what took place with Eve. She began to believe uh, that God was not blessing her, was not helping her, was not going to fulfill her, was not going to do what she said he would do, and, and, and that she had to take things into her own hand. Can you be living in the Garden of Eden and feel like a victim? That's the enemy's plan. And if you buy into that or base out of that, then the enemy has an opportunity to to deceive you in this life. If you listen, even in the midst of the glory, if you listen to the wrong voices, I've seen God move in amazing ways in people's lives. I've seen it happen in a church or in an area. But at the same time, God is moving. People can allow themselves to listen to the wrong voice. In fact, it's a very tender time. I've seen people uh, be very blessed in a very powerful move of God and go out and fornicate, go out and do foolish things. Why? Because they've gotten so opened up and so sensitive and is in the presence of God and that's all good and they're feeling this love and they're feeling this and that and then they allow it to be a, an occasion for the flesh. Is that possible? Can people be deceived in the midst of the glory? In the midst of God moving, can people allow themselves to enter into the wrong spirit? Well, Jesus had to say it to his own disciples at times, you don't know what spirit you're of. Get behind me, Satan. It can happen to any of us. And so we're constantly guarding ourselves so that we would listen rightly to God, not misinterpret. It says you can twist scriptures, you can try to get it to say and justify what you want. But if you're honest, then you're all... constantly opening up your heart and saying, God, I want to see the reality of my heart. And and when I look at you, I don't want to walk away from the mirror and be unchanged. I want to look at it. I want to see it for what it is. And then I want to be willing to change from glory to glory. When your glory shows up, I want to be willing to allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to come. There's a lot of foolishness being talked about in in the church today, like, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't convict folks, or there's no such thing as sin, and Christians can't ever disobey or get in, in a wrong positioning. Be careful about the things that are being said today about grace because I'm telling you there's grace but God forbid that you would use that grace for sin. God's saying there are things that he requires of every person's life and that we're going to be held accountable of what we did in this life in the end time. And so what we want to do is take it as an opportunity to grow in grace and know him more but even in the midst of the glory you can be deceived if you get into the wrong mentality. If you go back to the manufacturer's handbook, okay, uh, that's found in Genesis, we see what man was made for. It says, then God said, let us make man 
Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all of the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. In other words, God's saying, I want you to be made in my image and likeness, and the reason is I've called you to rule. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. Turn to somebody and say, I am blessed. The first thing God did before he ever gave him the commissioning of his heart is he's saying, you don't have to do this without my blessing. In fact, you can only do this with my blessing. The first thing God did for you and I is he blessed us with his love, with his forgiveness, with his grace. You know what grace means? It's not just God's uh, unmerited favor, and it's not just his mercy, but it's God's abilities released in your life. That word charis means gift, the gift of God loosed inside of you. If, in other words, the DNA of, of Father God himself is found inside of us, and we have a capacity to do what he asks us to. So God blessed you, God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and increase in number, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over everything, the fish, the the birds of the sky, the living creatures, everything that moves on the earth. I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that the fruit uh, with a seed inside of it, it will reproduce after its kind. Uh, They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw what he had made and he said, it was very good. God made man to operate with him, to be, if you will, his representation in the earth and to rule over all the rest of creation. That's what you were made for. That's what God had in mind when he made Adam and Eve. He said, I have created all this beautiful planet and everything that's in it, all of creation. I have given it to you to operate with and I want you to know you are blessed and you have that capacity to operate uh, with that anointing upon your life. One of the the keys that God has released upon you and I is that we are called literally to manifest his glory in the earth. Go ahead and go to the next slide there, Jonathan. And God has called us to have the capacity of heaven uh, upon our life. And literally it says the earth would wait and groan for the manifestation of the sons of God. That all of creation is waiting for you and I to operate with the authority. You know, when I told you about the oil spill and how uh, that happened, and uh, we as pastors went out the Destin Harbor and began to move uh, to be able to uh, believe for that oil spill not to come ashore here. And as we were going out on the boat, it was like the dolphins were jumping on either side saying, we're waiting for you. Like this oil is going to come and it's going to oil us up and the beaches and everything's going to be ugly. And, and they saw the, the, the church rising to go out and pray and we we're going to uh, put that oil, anointing oil on the oil spill uh, uh, oil and say, you will not come ashore here. It was like creation was waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God to say, come on, church, when you arise, the blessing uh, can be released and the curse can be broken. The the scientist wasn't going to save us. The government couldn't save us. The military didn't have a plan. Uh, Nobody in the the local government, the federal government had any way of getting us out. The only thing that would make a difference was the church, the ecclesia, operating the way that it was called to operate. We're called to be a reflection of God's glory in the midst of the earth. One of the things that God had in mind, if we're going back to the handbook, that God had in mind for the church in the beginning was that we were made for something. We were made to reflect God, and the only way that we could do that was to connect to God. We were made, if you will, for fellowship. We were made to walk in koinonia with the Father. If you remember, God made Adam and Eve He blessed them. He gave them this great command. He put his hands upon them in that sense and said, you can do this. You can do this work that I've called you to. And he had great capacities that he released into their life. And then Eve, if you remember, the serpent came and began to talk to her and say, hey, you know, God uh, doesn't want to bless you. He's trying to hold out on you. And, uh, you know, if you'll listen to me, I'll be the one that will serve this all on a plate to you. 
because God doesn't want to take care of you rightly. And so if you'll just take this fruit and eat, then you'll get what you want. And Eve did that, being deceived, not really understanding what the Lord had said. And then she went to her husband, if you remember, Adam, and she said, Adam, here, why don't you partake of this too? Because I think this is really good. And I think Adam had an opportunity at that moment. It says he was, you know, made in the image of God. I believe that he had that capacity to intercede. I believe if, as, if Adam, as the head of his home, would have taken that moment and stopped and not just, uh, you know, been overwhelmed by a naked woman or overwhelmed by his wife, whatever it might be. <laughs> if he would have stopped and said, Father, my, my beautiful bride Eve has, has sinned and I don't want her to die and I don't want us to be separated and I don't want shame to come upon us. God, what can I do? I'll do anything. God, uh, I'll even lay down my life. It says he was the firstborn of glory. He was one that was in the image of the Father. I believe that if he'd have said, whatever it takes, Father, I want to see her saved and redeemed, maybe something different could have taken place in that moment. But instead, he just entered into the same sin. And then we know that it says in Scripture, they were naked and not ashamed. Why were they naked but not ashamed? Because they were covered by the glory. But it says as soon as they sinned, something happened. The glory left. And when the glory left, then all of a sudden, the shame of their nakedness appeared. They began to perceive things totally differently. See, shame, the problem with it, it's not that it's that you made a mistake. It's an identity issue. It says you are a mistake. It's not that you have a problem or you created a problem. It's saying you are a problem. And so shame comes in to try to be an identity in our life. And all of a sudden... What it did to Adam is what it wants to do to us. It wants us to run away and try to cover ourselves, cover our own shame. And in that, we just make the problem worse. But what God said and what he wanted to do, if you remember, he walked back into the garden in the cool of the evening like he always did. And he asked this question. He said, Adam, where are you? Now, let me ask this question. Do you think Adam was somewhere God couldn't see? Or do you think God didn't know where Adam was? He was asking a question, but it was a little bit rhetorical. He was asking a question not really to find out information. He was more saying, like he said to Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing in this cave? He was asking a question to find out, Adam, what's going on with you that you're running away when you're supposed to be running too? Somehow, God knew that Adam had sinned, and he still expected Adam to show up when he was walking in the cool of the evening. He knew that was Adam's only hope. And many people, when they find themselves in the world, whether they've backslidden or whether they have never gotten saved, uh, the reason that they don't want to approach God is because of their shame. They think they've made too big of a mistake. They think they have too big of problems. They think that God will not receive them, love them, forgive them, that there is no hope. And yet, the only hope that they really have is to have enough faith to approach God and say, hey, look at me, <laughs> I'm a mess. Can you help me out today? The only responsibility of every individual in this life is to take the measure of faith that God has granted to every man and use it to approach God to be able to get help. The reason you might witness to somebody, preach to somebody, prophesy, minister, or heal them, the reason that you might do something like that is to help them to have enough faith to approach God and say, Father, I need some help. Will you show up for me today? Father, forgive me. I have sinned. Please, Restore back to me what I've lost. Give to me what I cannot get for myself. We were made for fellowship with God. Without that fellowship, without that koinonia with God and with one another, we do not operate the way that we should. You could cut this finger off, throw it on the ground over there, and it might be the same finger, but because it's disconnected, it becomes ugly and decayed and pretty much dead. But you connect it up rightly to the body, and all of a sudden it's a great functional part of my hand and of the body's will and of what the head wants. Too many Christians get disconnected and think that they're going to somehow do the job by themselves. It's impossible. One body, one spirit, one Lord. 
We have to be baptized together like that. And God created local expressions of that and the universal expression of that. And we have to be connected to get the job done. Adam could not get the job done disconnected from his creator. Great abilities, great calling, all that went wasting in shame because of the fellowship that was broken. We can say, oh, didn't I prophesy in your name, Lord? Didn't I heal some sick? Didn't I cause mountains to be removed? But he says, listen, if you don't have love, if you don't have relationship with me, if you don't know me, it's all wasting. It's all vanity. Fruitfulness is not there. Because the key to what God has called us to live out in this life is found relationally. Now, we want power and authority and all those kind of good things, but... uh, We get it illegitimately if we don't do it relationally. Like the woman that gets married to a man, but she doesn't really like him or doesn't want to be with him, and so she never consummates the marriage, but she wants the name, and she wants to write the checks on the checkbook, and she wants to do all these things and have the inheritance, but don't make me live with him intimately. Sorry, it's not the way God set it up. He says, you took my name and you did a lot of stuff, but I never knew you. That's an intimate term, a biblical term, a walking in covenant with someone. And God's saying, you will deceive yourself if you only hear, but you never obey. If we're not connected in a way that you know my heart, how do you get to know how somebody likes things? I mean, my wife and I have been married 33 years. All right, honey. 33 years, hallelujah. I feel confirmation. And uh, you know what? You learn what they like and what ticks them off. I mean, you learn what they like. And so if you're wise, you need to try to do those things, not the things that make them mad, right? You want to do the things that will please them, and you learn what they like. Why? Because you spent time with them. And it's hard to know how to please God if you don't spend time with him, if you don't connect with his heart on a daily basis. It says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's only in that kind of relational component that you begin to know the Lord. See, the problem with shame is an identity issue, and when you receive it, then it doesn't just affect you. It begins to affect all those around about you, all those that you connect with. And you become a taker instead of a giver in life, and we find that in Adam's uh, case, it affected his kids. Cain and Abel should have been raised in the glory, should have been raised in the garden should have been raised walking and talking with God. But because of Adam's sin, the glory began to be departed and they were having to work under a curse and a whole other paradigm of life and it was hard and because of that, Abel received some good things, at least had enough together to offer the right kind of sacrifice to God. And it says he, he brought the blood of the lamb. And because of that, uh, he was redeemed and received from the Lord. But we see that Cain uh, brought uh, the fruit of the land. The land had been cursed. And so God said, I can't receive that. But he said, if you go back and get it right and come back again, it'll be fine. But instead of Cain doing that, he played the shame-blame game, right? He felt shame, and instead of getting it right, he just blamed somebody else. And so he looked for somebody to blame. The closest person he found was his brother Abel, who has gotten it right, and he didn't. And so he felt like he was jealous of his blessing. And he said, I know how to do something now to take care of that. I'll take care of him. And many times when we don't feel good about ourselves, then we take it out on the one closest to us. The worst person to live with is somebody that doesn't like themselves. And if they're filled with shame, they're going to project that either relationally or generationally. And that's what happened with Cain until a curse came upon Cain's life as well because of how he operated underneath that yoke of shame. Jesus, in Isaiah 61, at the end of all that he said that he would do, turn your ashes into beauty to get you free from every uh, captivity, to to begin to cause you to be able to receive uh, that blessing for your mourning, to receive joy. In the midst of all that, at the end of the day, he said, and for your shame, I will give you double honor. The double portion was always reserved for the firstborn. It was the one that would be blessed and favored, the one that would receive the inheritance along with the responsibility. It was that one that was in right positioning. 
And here the Lord said, I want to do an exchange. Adam did an exchange where he gave up the glory and received shame. And he says, here, in my name now, I'm the second Adam. I've come to redeem you, and I'm going to cause you, if you will believe me, to be restored back into a place of the Garden of Eden. What is that? That is a fenced-in area of God's pleasure. There are boundaries to God's blessings, but if you are willing to do what God asks you to do and walk with him and fellowship in that place, God said, I can restore the glory, and you can live out this blessed life that I have promise to you and you can fulfill what you were made for. But you're not going to do it outside of fellowship with me. You're not going to do it just because you said I was called to the ministry and so I'm going to do something for God. No, you're going to connect with God's heart and out of that you're going to flow in what he wants out of your life. If you just go to fulfill a word and don't have his heart, you're going to miss the mark. Because you won't understand that Deception comes when you hear but you don't obey, when you don't connect the right way with what God has called you to be. It's interesting that in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, it's all about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's all about speaking in tongues. It's all about the anointing and, and, and all that God wants to do. But he put 1 Corinthians 13 right in the middle of that because that was the heart of the issue. He said, you can uh, have all that power and authority, but if you don't have love, it's fruitless. If you don't have my heart and if you don't connect to who I am, God is love. And if you don't have the right motivation, then you can even prophesy and you can speak with the tongues of men and angels and do all kinds of amazing things. But God says it's vanity. Because relationship is covenant and that's the key to the blessing. That's why when you come down to the altar, you know, why do we come to the altar? Why do we bring a sacrifice of praise? Because it's there that we cut covenant afresh and anew. There that we say, God, I'm coming to the altar and I'm laying down my life. Why do you come to an altar? Because an altar is always prepared for a sacrifice. It's not just the front of the church. It's saying this is where we're coming to lay down our life afresh and anew for the Lord. Take up your cross daily. Here again is my sacrifice of praise for you, Lord. And God honors that. God says, here's my covenant blessings that I want to release upon your life. God expected Adam to be there meeting him in the cool of the evening, even with the shame that he felt in his life, not running off trying to cover himself. And if he had done that, I don't know how the story may have went, but I think it might have gone differently. Then it says in Genesis 1.26 that we are called to reproduce. It's all about fruit. Everybody say fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. I always say, find out what happens when you're around and you know what kind of fruit you're bearing. Fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of our lives is what takes place after we're gone. What takes place because we're there. It says every branch that does not produce good fruit, cut them off and throw them into the fire. So it's not an option for us to produce fruit. God says we're called for good works and good fruit. And the fruit of our life is releasing the kingdom. In other words, we are representing the Lord, and so we are releasing God's image into the earth. That's the power that you have to be like him. And if we're doing that work, then we're going back to the mandate in the garden, and now we're being reestablished in Jesus' name and saying we're going to fulfill that very calling upon our life. We're going to reproduce the image of God because we're representing him wherever we go Rightly, it says, every seed will reproduce after its like kind. It says, be not deceived. A man will reap whatever he sows. So if you're having some fruit or harvest that you don't like, you may need to go back and just reexamine what kind of seed you've been sowing. Doesn't mean negative things can't happen even when they're doing some things right, but it does mean if we're wise, we're going to at least go back to check it out and let God speak to us in case there's something we need to change along the way. Everything in the kingdom comes in the form of a seed. And then what you do with that seed will determine how you are blessed or not, how God will release his image in the earth along the way. The seed of God is inside of you, and what God is expecting in, of you is that you will reproduce that seed. Remember the profitable servant? One, the Lord left, came back. He hid it. He just hung out. And he wanted to play it safe. The other one, he sowed it. He used his talent. He used his gift. The Lord was well pleased. Well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because you used the seed I gave, I gave to you and you reinvested it and used it to reproduce. God is not happy 
when we are barren and unwilling to go into intimacy and use what is given to us. Sometimes it's just wisdom to stop and re-examine yourself and say, God, what have you placed in my life? What seeds did you put there? What am I responsible for? Because at the end of the day, that's all we want to hear, good and faithful servant, steward of whatever God placed in our hands. If we're good and faithful, it doesn't matter if we have millions or we have thousands or we have pennies, that God doesn't look like that. He looks at the percentage. He looks at what you had in your hands and what you did with it. We want to look at how many books did we write and how famous and how far we traveled and how many people are going to say, yeah, 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 they did something great for me. Uh, even though that feels good here in this life, the reality is God doesn't look that way. He wants to know, did you use what I gave to you rightly? And if you've done that, then you'll hear the same thing any other preacher that may be famous or whatever will hear at the end of the day. The glory of God is something that you should highly prize. Being connected to the heart of the Father is key. You can't fulfill reproducing without some intimacy. You'll reproduce something, but it won't be what you're supposed to unless you're walking in intimacy and covenant. Blessing, legitimacy comes by the, both the covenant and the intimacy. Be fruitful and fill the earth. The earth was without form and void, and God wanted somebody to fill it. What did he want it filled with? His glory. Who is and what is his glory? His glory is the reflection of himself in the earth, his image, his likeness. When man is walking outside of God's plan and God's fellowship, it doesn't look much like God. When man is reconnected to him and walking in fellowship, heaven has the opportunity to come to earth. The Garden of Eden can actually be restored in a way of God's blessing and God's goodness being displayed here on earth because of us operating rightly that we would represent him and fill the earth. The earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You and I are called sons of glory. It says Jesus was the firstborn of many brethren. He was the first son of glory, but he wants many sons and daughters of glory. And the more we operate in reflecting who he is in the earth, the more the earth becomes filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, be fruitful and multiply. Remember the, the little lunch that was given to Jesus? He blessed it, then he broke it. That's what happens. God blesses us, and then he breaks us to make us to look more like him. We are changed into his image, predestined to be conformed to his image from glory to glory. God says, I will make you look like me. That was my first intent, my heart from the beginning, if you allow me to work in you. And when you look like him, you'll begin to work like him. And so lastly, let me just say this. This word subdue is the word radah uh, in the Hebrew. In the English, it means to overcome. To subdue means to bring into subjugation, to overpower by superior force, to overcome. To bring under cultivation is another uh, connotation, to subdue the wilderness. In other words, you begin to take a fallow ground and you cause it to be fruitful. You take some thing that's unruly and you rule over it. Something that's not working, you cause it to work. You take your authority and your positioning. Part of what Adam forfeited was the authority as a son of God and a representation of God's image in the earth. And he had been told, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, now subdue and have dominion. That's that word ecclesia. That's where it says that the ecclesia was the Greek senate called out of the general population to rule and legislate in a territory or over whatever spiritual issue or moral issue of the day. You and I are called with that same mandate in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. I will build my ecclesia. I will build those that know how to rule for me in the earth. If you're going to rule, if you're going to be a judge, I hope you know the law. I hope you know the precepts. I hope you understand what's right and what's wrong. I hope you've got it in your heart of how to rightly adjudicate issues from a point of wisdom and understanding of the Constitution or of what makes up 
the realm that you are ruling in. If you're not wise in the word of God and don't have the full counsel of God, uh, then God forbid you get to be in charge. But blessed is a nation when the righteous rule. Blessed is a household when a righteous man or woman takes their place. Blessed is a church or a territory when people understand the word of God and rightly relay its precepts into the hearts of those that they're over. Dominion, radah, to prevail, to reign over in the Hebrew. Uh, to rule, to be a ruler, to take and have dominion, to dominate, to tread on. And I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That word prevail is that they will not be superior uh, in power. They will not overcome. You are more powerful than anything hell has to offer in this earth. You have been given the name that is above every name. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. When you understand God's original intent, then you have that same heart of Joshua. Everywhere I send you, every place your foot shall tread, I have given it to you. Whatever you lay your hands to, and I will make a good success. I will bless you in the land and I will cause you to overcome whatever power is out there. You are smaller. You're not as powerful. You don't have as much as all that you see in Canaan. But I'm telling you, if you will be those that are, that are in right relationship with me, I will give you the authority over this land and I will bring you into your inheritance and this will be where my glory will dwell. Somehow God's saying that part of his plan, who is this king of glory? It is he who is strong and mighty, strong in battle. He, as we open up the gates to him who knows how to rule in a territory. So God is saying, if we're gonna receive the glory back again, there has something to do with us operating to know how to subdue and have dominion in the midst of the earth. That's why we talk about the transformation effect. That's why we talk about the seven mountains and these places being impacted by those that operate as the church, that we bring the glory back into these areas and cause where the curse has been operating and the shame has been released to be now replaced with the glory of God. So I want you to just stand with me and lift up your hands because I'm going to believe with you that you understand something this morning, and that is this. You were made for this. Come on. You were made for this. I want you to lift up your hands to the Lord and I want you to come in agreement and understand that in the beginning, God said, I gave man a plan. I gave him my heart. I gave him fellowship day to day. And then I blessed him and I gave him a command and I said, you can do this work because you're made for it. You have my abilities. Listen, we're not gonna operate as mere men in this earth. We're gonna operate under the auspices of heaven and with all of heaven's blessings and benefits. We're not gonna get the job done just because we're good people, we're gonna get things done because we are God-connected people. It's because we have been blessed by our creator and we are made in his image and likeness and God is restoring his glory back to every one of us that we can do this work the way God's called us to wherever he sends us. So Father, as we lift up our hands, we come in agreement. We were made for this. We were made to exhibit your glory in the earth. We were made to tell your story. We were made to break curses everywhere we go. We were made to release heaven on earth everywhere we go. We were made to operate in this fenced-in area of pleasure that we could please you by doing what you ask us to, by staying in right relationship close to your heartbeat, and that in that place we would know fulfillment. We would know your pleasure. We would know the blessings of heaven. And then we would rise up because we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to walk in the glory, not just so that we can hang out and say, isn't this great, but that we can be empowered. We can be loose to be great and to operate with that anointing that you have intended for us to have. And we can subdue and have dominion. We can go out wherever we are and know who we are. We are sons of God. The earth and all creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of glory, of the sons of God, of the daughters of glory, of the daughters of God. Father, all of the earth is waiting for me. It's waiting for each one that's here today to rise up and display the kingdom, break the curse, and bring the blessings that you intended from the beginning into the earth. So stretch your hands up just a little higher because God's raising your vision. God's causing you to step up 
where you've said, well, you know, this is the way the world is. Yes, it is. But that's not the way heaven is. That's not the way God is. That's not what God intended. This is not what God wants to allow to happen in the earth. He wants those that have the keys to the kingdom to forbid and allow, to operate with the blessings of heaven, to cause the glory to return. Cause the glory to return. Ultimately, Lord, you're going to come in the clouds of glory and you're going to shout and all men shall see your glory. But until that day, we're here to display who you are by telling the good news story again and again that the glory can return, the shame can go. Now do this with me. Put your hands on your heart. Wherever shame has come into your life and tried to get you to identify with it, I want you to just reverse the curse by not doing what Adam did where he ran and hid and tried to hide out because he felt bad. God, I may have disobeyed. I, I may have been hesitant. I may have walked away. I may have said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing. I may have outright sinned and broke your law. But Father, wherever I allow that to take place in my life, I'm not gonna live in disgrace. I'm not gonna live in shame. I'm not gonna ha have my head hang down, my hands hang down, my knees become feeble and give up. I'm not gonna walk away, but Lord, I can only do one thing. I only can hear the invitation that you made to Adam. Adam, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I made you for something great. Where are you? Why are you there hiding away? Adam, I'm calling your name. Adam, I know you. Adam, I know what took place. Adam, run to me, run to me. Come back, I want you to have the glory. I want the blessing to remain and not the curse to work. The heartbeat of God. So, Father, I may have exchanged some glory for shame. But all I know to do is to run to you and not run away. So in the midst of where I've been and where I am, all I know to do today is simply, come on, just open your heart and lift up your hands and say, here's my shame, Lord. Forgive me. Help me. I need you, Father. I want to come back to you. I want to connect to you. I want, I want nothing to, to be uh, that wall of separation or distance. Lord, I want to walk intimately close to you. So forgive me, Father. Love me, Father. Give to me what I could never do for myself and pour out your immense love and favor back upon my life. Now, Lord, as you embrace me, as the Father embraced the prodigal, I, I just have enough faith just to embrace you back and say thank you, Father. Father, for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me now. Put that robe back on me, please. Put the inheritance back in my hands, Lord. Bless me that I can be a blessing. Let the glory return for my shame. I receive the glory. I thank you for it. The Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, the blessing of the Father, the Father's blessing upon our life. I receive the glory that comes with the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon my life. I receive the anointing right now. I declare I will emanate and I will radiate the glory. I will demonstrate the kingdom. I declare it's coming back now. It's coming back now. It's mine. It's mine and you freely have promised you would forgive and more than that you would give back to me what I have lost I receive it now I breathe it in the breath of life I declare I'm going to walk in my high places I'm going to be seated together with you in heavenly places I'm going to operate in the glory the way you made me I receive it body, soul, spirit in every way that you made me, that full capacity. Father, I'm decreeing right now there's some people that felt like their mind was slipping. I say, no more in the name of Jesus. I declare memory, you're coming back into alignment. I declare right now, intellect, you are rising. I, I declare GPA, you are rising right now in Jesus' name. Uh, I, I declare right now where somebody has felt like their, their weakness of their body was overwhelming their strength. I say now in Jesus' name, 
we return back to you that portion of the glory. Now we say backbone, straighten up and be strong. We say joints, be free, be loose. We say heart, beat right, be strong. We speak right now into the vessels and the organs and we say be refreshed. Now come back alive. You are made to operate now in the glory, the quantum realm. The quantum realm is being loose. The kingdom is being loose. We're operating into that place of the glory. We say emotionally right now that wherever we have lost because something got broken and something got opened into our life, we say now in the name of Jesus Christ, you're pouring in the oil and the wine. You're restoring right now and we're bringing back into place the glory and the goodness of heaven, the good news, the graciousness of God. I breathe it. I receive it right now. Father, we're not going to operate on a low level. We're not going to be even normal uh, the way that man would see it, but we're super Christians, supernatural Christians. We're operating now in the glory, and we receive that reality right now, and we thank you for it, and we give you all the praise. Come on, give the Lord a shout as if it's happening now, happening now, happening now. Father, we declare this church is going to be a church filled with your glory, filled with the manifestation of your kingdom in praise, in worship, even as the beauty of this house is being restored on a whole new level. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. We declare that's the reality in every way of what you're doing here today and we give you all the praise. Hallelujah. Turn to somebody and say, God's doing it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.